1: Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Thanks for joining us on the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. John, it's always good to talk with you and good to see you. How are you doing?
0: Jalen, I'm doing well. You know, I just got home from having dinner with a good friend of ours, uh, Tony. He was a youth pastor in the Naperville area right next to where I was serving for many years, and he just so happened to be out here in the South Bay. So we caught up and and we're hoping that, you know, Tony will actually be a guest on the podcast at some point. So
1: yeah, it was fun to sign in and see Tony hanging out in your background for a little bit and to catch up with him. Uh, You know, I love being able to, you know, get together, obviously with you every week, but, you know, just to, to be able to see other ministry friends and partners, uh, whether it's on zoom or especially in person, but, you know, it reminds me of how important having friends in ministry, uh, who are laboring alongside you are. And, you know, I'm glad that you got a chance to hang out with Tony and that you guys were able to grab a meal and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you were able to do that.
0: Yeah, I'm waiting for when you are going to make a trip out here so that we can grab that meal and hang out here. But yeah, we should probably get to the episode for today. So if you have been listening, um, this is actually this week we're actually doing part two of an episode that we had previously recorded. It was a fairly long conversation, so we wanted to split it into two halves. And so um, we have uh, Enoch Liao, who's the English pastor at Boston Chinese Evangelical Church on with us and last week Enoch started the conversation with us talking about the Chinese heritage church uh, a phrase that he kind of coined um, to be to to describe who we are as Chinese churches and it's been a really great conversation so we're just going to dive right into part two here with Enoch. You briefly described just like some of the differences in uh, the Chinese heritage church in other parts of the world. I'm curious, where do you see your own church kind of falling into that spectrum?
2: Hmm. Yeah, so in terms of the United States of America, um, a lot of Chinese, um, one of the biggest Asian American populations, right, in terms of the country and in places like California, Chicago, other places, lots of Asians and lots of Chinese. Uh, But my church, its roots happen to be Toysanese. and Cantonese and low income because it's an actual Chinatown church. And so um, it's interesting in in one church, you'll have people that over like 90, 100 years old that only speak Toisanese pretty much. Um, And then you've got you know my kids that are grown up here probably can't speak Chinese uh, to save their grandparents or anything. And and then economically it's all over the place. Um, But to be honest, they're not all worshiping in the same worship service you know, the Mandarin congregation has a certain socioeconomic demographic that's different than the English congregation and so forth. So I guess my church, you know, we do live in Boston in the Boston area. So um, we, but like a lot of places around the United States, the immigrant from the Chinese immigrants now are not from Taiwan and really not from Hong Kong. Um, they're from mainland China. And that's really different <laughs> than Taiwan, Hong Kong, in terms of the kinds of social issues and cultural things that they bring. So I don't know, my church is kind of a um, pretty big amalgamation of quite a few things. But I would say one thing is that being in the Northeast, my kids are growing up with a far more pronounced minority experience than I ever did growing up in Southern California. Hmm. Uh, They are racialized far more than me. And I've become more racialized being here. I don't mean racist. I mean, racialized, meaning I just can see how race, when you see behavior, when you see someone say something or do something good or bad, race, um, goes to the top of that list of, you know, checking off, like, is it possibly because of race? Honestly, I never, I never really had to go through that. Um, growing up in Southern California.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting. I think that certainly that, that does, you know, up where you live currently in the United States, you know, certainly plays a factor on, on that racialization. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned for, you know, John being in California for myself being in Chicago. Uh, there are larger pockets of Chinese people, and uh, you know, probably more Chinese immigrants that are coming into these areas. Uh, for for Chinese heritage churches being multicultural and multilingual, as you mentioned, having a, a Mandarin congregation, an English congregation, a Cantonese congregation, what kind of advantages do you see Chinese heritage churches having in evangelism and discipleship?
2: So, ironically one of the advantages I would say is something that I don't think people, including those in Chinese heritage churches, believe is true. I believe a typical Chinese heritage church or any church that has two languages like that because of immigrant trend and immigration is one of the most diverse churches um, around, period. And so that's a great advantage, um, especially today in the United States. So let me allow me to just unpack that a little bit, because people would look at me and go your church is not diverse <laughs> uh, a few years back I was uh, at a talk with uh, listening to Tim Keller and he just made a side comment that I chatted with him afterwards not because we're friends but because I QA and he said you know at the time Redeemer you know probably 3,000 people I think at the time I think he also said largest Asian American congregation in in the country at the time because there was no other congregation with over a thousand plus Asian Americans in it at the time uh, which 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 my staff said to me well you're from California is that true I go that might be, I don't know. I'm not counting. Right. But, um, but he said this, he said, you know, Redeemer with all its ethnic diversity, it's monolithic. His words. Now he may not say that today. So I don't want to pretend I'm quoting him from right now, but uh, 15 years ago, his point was they're all Manhattanites, you know, they may be from different backgrounds, but they're all mostly all American and um, eat the same food, listen, to the same music and have a lot of the same jobs. So I think when you look at a church, like any of your Chinese heritage churches or mine, it looks ethnic, monolithic, looks monolithic because of ethnicity. And, um, and again, that's because of perhaps our racialized thing. It does. I don't say it bothers me, but it, it, I'm concerned when people seem to think that multiracial and multicultural are the same, or multi-ethnic and multicultural are the same. I, I, I think that they're really different if you pause. Um, so I would say in the book of Acts, and, you know, you and I, we talked about this a little bit. There are you can, you don't have to call them diversity because maybe in some people's minds, diversity is like, a, in the negative sense, some sort of social justice jargon that we're forcing on the Bible, but let me call them barriers that, that impeded the work of the gospel and, uh, caused divisions among people that in the old and new Testament that I think by God's spirit and grace, we needed to really lean into God's grace to overcome. Uh, for example, uh, there's the issue of age, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, like disciples stopping parents from bringing their kids to them. Like there's definitely this age thing in the uh, New Testament. Uh, I would think there's a political difference, right? You've got the disciples where someone's a tax collector, which, you know, means they're sort of capitulating to the oppressive Roman occupying military regime. And then you've got the zealot, um, which, you know, whatever you take Simon to be, he's not a tax collector. So there's diversity there. You've got social economic diversity, uh, rich and poor, is probably one of the most intractable challenges to overcome in any sort of human relations. You've got uh, linguistic diversity, which, I mean, God bless the Holy Spirit, gave a miraculous gift of tongues, which I don't know what you all believe, but it would be so convenient if we had to get the tongues all (laughs) the time. Uh, It would make our services much shorter um, and all those other things. And you've also got cultural differences. In Acts, the first conflict sort of Famously, that could have split the church, so to speak, that sort of was the time they instituted deacons. I actually was reading a commentary about it recently. It's between Jews and Greeks. No, I don't think that's what Luke says. It's between Hebraic Jews and Grecian Jews. It's between Jews and Jews. It's between overseas-born Jews and local-born Jews. Or can I call them OBCs and ABCs? It's it's the same ethnic group, but very different culturally. And I might add, I'm gonna guess generationally. And oh yeah, you've got different ethnic racial differences. All of those are barriers in the book of Acts and the New Testament in the gospel. And all of them are things that we have to overcome. And you also got gender differences, Um, you know, without getting into the whole thing of sexuality, male or female, when Paul evokes that, he is trying to say that there's an equality or unity among men and women in the church when he Jew Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, all those sorts of things. So in my book, as I see the type of diversities out there, which diversities are hard to overcome, My father uh, met, discovered on one of his trips back to his hometown, you know, there's like a registry, like a village register where you list all the descendants. So he happened to travel back to China to, or to actually find that village. And he just checked it and he was going to update it. When he went there, he was shocked. This is like 2014, I think he was shocked and surprised to realize that in the last time since he'd been there, which was, I don't know how many years, decades, someone had updated the registry. So my entire life until probably 2014, I thought my dad was the only living this and you know relative on my side. He discovered someone can't travel back to their ancestral village and logged, hey, there's me and there's my kids. And so he discovered, although a little bit late to actually meet his cousin. I think his cousin passed away, but he's able to track down basically like my third, my third or second cousins. So um they FaceTime me or call me at home one day, and they're on a video call and I'm on a video call. I'm looking at them and we're the same age, like in our forties, and my first thought was, "Dude, he looks like my dad twenty years ago." Like he just looks like someone who's from Taiwan right now, and we're the same age, and and we tried to talk, and I realized my Mandarin is not that good for catching up conversationally, and I don't practice that much in my church, which is Cantonese predominantly, and and all these things, and I just went, "This is a guy that is like my blood," but I have way more in common with someone that is, say, you know, Japanese American, a Filipino American or even just, you know, someone who's born here and raised here. So I have a lot more in common. And so I think when it comes to diversity, I actually think cultural, linguistic, socioeconomic, and political diversity might be even more daunting and harder than ethnic diversity. I mean, if we grew up in the same place. So, So therefore, I think the advantage to discipleship and evangelism is by God's grace, you can literally see an entire family come to Christ. The grandparents that traditionally only speak English the youth that are kind of only speaking uh, sorry the grandparents that only speak Chinese the youth that only speak English and then the parents that maybe are kind of trying to do both and we've actually seen whole families get baptized so that's one of the cool things about being a church that is quote unquote as diverse as us
1: yeah one of the things Enoch you, know, like you mentioned you know we we do struggle with those terms multicultural versus multi-ethnic versus multiracial and I think that you know I, I had the, the the privilege of, of being able to serve at a multi-ethnic church, uh, in downtown Chicago for, for about eight years. And I did notice that for me growing up in a Chinese church, I was able to recognize sort of the, the need to, like you're saying, code switch, um, because I had grown up in a Chinese church, which is multicultural, right? Because we have, we we're bringing in all these different experiences and backgrounds and all those things actually help us to navigate the country that we live in and then also being in spaces that are multicultural and so you know i do think that is important it is important to remind our ourselves as chinese heritage churches that indeed we are multicultural and you know as you're saying there is a big advantage to how we do evangelism and discipleship because of what because of what we're learning just by being in our chinese heritage churches
2: a few years ago, our our when our youth went on a missions training thing, and um, the 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 Caucasian brother who is actually married to an East Asian um, and has East Asian kids and adopted kids, he he remarked on this to me. He said, "You know, um, Enoch, at best, I can be cross-cultural. I can be a skilled and experienced cross-cultural person and worker,
0: hmm.
2: but that's not the same as being a multicultural." Hmm. Now, I don't know when, you know, maybe there are probably some people that are so skilled at being cross-cultural, they can talk to my parents better than I can talk to my parents in terms of relatability, but that struck me. And you're right, there's an asset, there's an advantage that costs a lot growing up and can really do a number on your identity, ethnic identity and self-worth, which is being multicultural and kind of learning and knowing when it's okay to say things or fit in in certain things. Um, and then there's being cross-cultural and in this globally connected world where it's a small world um there i mean arguably there is a lot of value to being able to be multicultural and i'm not trying to say multicultural people are better um than cross cultural i just think it's an experience it's like if you grow up in a multilingual home that native access of acquisition of that language is just something you can't replace because of the development of your brain and learning that acquiring that language of course some people can devote significant time and energy to become like virtually native fluent that's definitely possible but a lot more work than just kind of learning to talk two languages growing up without even trying because that's you know your grandparents can only speak Chinese and your your you know and your friends at school only speak English and you just got to learn um this is incidentally which is why my Chinese accent is apparently a very heavy accent from a village that my grandmother's from who bless her heart didn't have a very high education. So apparently I sound like a less educated rural person when I use my Mandarin. Um, But yeah, so I think that is, I can call it an advantage um, or disadvantage, but I think it's a part of immigrant churches. And it's a part of it that therefore we need to submit to the Lordship of Christ and recognize and, and to leverage that for His kingdom and to celebrate that multiculturalism. My kids don't speak much Chinese at all, but, Aside from that one feature, I think they are definitely growing up Chinese American. They go to Chinatown all the time. They can take the public transportation by themselves. They have a lot of Asian friends, um, but they're also growing up in a majority culture that is very, very less, much less diverse than the culture I grew up in in Southern California. Um, And so, yeah, I do think there's a lot to be done about this. It's funny, people talk about diversity and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it really does sometimes feel like the majority culture invites the minority culture come be in our church so we can have diversity. I've, I've told some of my white friends, you want diversity. Why don't you guys go join a, you know, an Asian church or a black church? I mean,
0: yeah.
2: why does diversity only mean that we go into that context? And so, um, and there's a whole lot I could unpack there, but, but, and I don't mean that as a jab. Uh, I just think it's hard to see. It's hard to distinguish what is normal from what is majority culture uh, because, when you're grown up in monoculturally, and again, I don't mean that in a negative phrase, but I think some people grow up monoculturally, you can't, it's hard to tell the difference until you go outside your culture and go, wow, there really are big differences among cultures.
0: Yeah. You know, I actually would want to explore that question uh, that that you just talked about on another episode. Um, Just, yeah, like, why, why is it that when we have this conversation about diversity um, in the church, it's always like, well, how do we bring someone from the outside to us and rather than the other way around, because I I think that, I I think that happens not just from necessary from like a majority white culture context, church context to, you know, to a minority context. I think it happens, like you said, within whatever majority culture that is, whether if, if it's in uh in a Chinese heritage church, if the majority culture is like from Hong Kong or Cantonese speaking, then oftentimes there is that thought of how do we get someone from the outside to hear, rather than the other way. But I, you know, maybe that might be, that might be good to, to talk about on another, another episode. I just, as we wrap up our time together, because we've actually been talking for, for quite a while and I, I love it. I feel like we could keep going. I could keep going, keep listening to you talk about the Chinese heritage church, but um, we always like to kind of wrap up our episode or, or our time together um, by asking our guests, what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would pass on to someone that is currently serving in uh, the Chinese Heritage Church?
2: Yeah, uh, great question. I, I always struggle with those because if it was me, I'd, I'd listen. I'd ask the person asking me, tell me about their church, and maybe I could be more useful to that. But allow me to say two things, and feel free to edit it out. Um, I think one um, in this season, in in late March of 2021. When the national consciousness is very much thinking about anti-asians uh violence and racism and and, and things like that and again that, that's a whole other topic um uh, and that quite divisive in many ways um and the tragic deaths of people both in atlanta and boulder this past week um i think uh shepherding and leaning into um churches asian background churches in the united states is going to be a challenging thing so in light of the last couple of weeks i would just sort of just say Just ask God to help you be faithful and stay with it because I think uh, people are going to need the under shepherds that God has called to just love and through the season. You don't have to have all the answers. Surely I don't think we do, but but God does. And so that's one thought if people are listening to this, um, even though, yeah, it'll probably air in a few weeks. Uh, Getting more generically, um, again, there's a million things I probably could say. I don't know if any of them would be useful, but I will say one thing. I don't know who should stay in what kind of church, but I think if you're coming out of a Chinese heritage church and you sense that God has used that to grow you spiritually, whether you're just a a member or a leader or a pastor, um, not everyone is called to stay. But I guess I would ask people as they grow up and maybe go to college or maybe start a family or, or move wherever to do a career or whatever it is, I just think it'd be good for people to pray in God and consciously put both options. And there's more than two. It's not just binary, but both options on the table. God, do you want me to come back to my Chinese heritage church, which might be in a place where there are not, are not a lot of ethnic Chinese and then you know, faithfully, humbly serve the precious people there, the youth or the children there, or do you want me to go serve in a different context? And I think if you have pastors listening to this call, um, I think, it's okay to leave the Chinese heritage church to follow God. But I think it's important to know why we're leaving and why we're going. And and I think this is not to criticize, but to bring health to wherever we're going to go. So I I think uh, one thing I would say is just thank you. If you're serving or in the Chinese heritage church, as a lay leader, as a member, as a minister, as a bi-vocational minister or pastor, I just want to thank you for your serving and faithfulness Um, love to connect. And, um, but, but also, um, God is, God is doing a lot, um, in the Chinese heritage church. It's funny. I, I was listening to a, a book on audio today, and it happened to be written by a Christian woman. And she said from something like, yeah, you know, we're a really small church, only like 300 people. And I told my wife, wow, that's, really, I mean, I'm not trying to criticize that, but that's a context. Um, and a lot of Chinese heritage churches, especially outside of California or even in California, they'll say, yeah, we're really small. And I'll say, how many are you like about hundred, 150 I said, well, I mean, you're technically not small, you're comparable to the average. So maybe we should just call you normal sized churches. I don't know if it's small or large, what's helpful, but but I would say pastors, people serving in Chinese heritage churches have probably a lot more diversity, a lot more barriers that they're dealing with that society doesn't acknowledge. So therefore, when we struggle, or we have our church splits and fights, we think, man, that church over there, look at all that racial, ethnic diversity, and they're five times bigger than us, and they get along. What's wrong with us? Now, it could be very much sin that's causing division, but it could also be you're trying to shepherd people from multiple generations, multiple languages and cultures. They do not listen to the same songs when they're in the car by themselves. They do not like the same authors or Someone loves memes, someone doesn't know what a meme is, just, it's just so much diversity in some of these, quote unquote, smaller congregations, um, but so much opportunity and so many people to love for Jesus sake. So I would just, I guess I would just pray for them and encourage them to, to look to God for where he's leading them to stay to pour, put down roots to invest, or to go as God leads, but just thank, I would thank them for serving in their Chinese heritage churches.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for just sharing from your own journey, from your wisdom, uh, how God has been revealing himself to you in your church. Uh, but in particular, that that last piece, um, just that word to people serving in the Chinese church, I wholeheartedly agree that God may not call every person to stay, you know, in in our churches and in, in these spaces, but to, to prayerfully consider that rather than to just say, you know, I'm, once I'm, once I'm out of here, I'm out of here. I, I think that there's so much joy and just good things that the Lord wants to do you know, in in these places and and to not give up on that, I think is, is the thing that I would just tack on there. So Enoch, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. We've loved having you on. Um, it's just been awesome getting to know you through this, uh, even before we had this call, um, but just to hear more of your journey and, and how God has been leading you. Thank you for sharing that with us.
2: It's been an honor to be here. God bless the work of your hands as you guys serve him in this, uh, I think, really timely podcast. And I'm really hoping that it'll encourage many people. Thank you for having me.
0: That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.